You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Well, I'm glad that you're joining us again today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. We are in the middle of a series right now in the month of January to begin 2021, where we are talking about specifically evangelism, the discipline and effort, which is a God-given desire for, for us and for His church to lead other people to Christ. Many churches talk about wanting to be more evangelistic. They pray about being more evangelistic, but few churches actually take evangelism seriously. And here at Preston Crest, that is something that we're really wanting to do in 2021. Hopefully your congregation is wanting to do that as well. And so we are taking this month to kind of focus on ways that we can improve in our efforts to bring people to Christ. Uh, last week, we got to hear from Dr. Matthew Maureen in Castle Rock, Colorado, and he gave us some insights into what evangel evangelism looks like in remote places definitely being in a part of the country where uh, the Bible Belt is non-existent. Today, a good friend of mine, Greg Parks, with the Waterview Church of Christ here in Dallas, just a few miles from us here at Preston Crest, is going to talk with us about ways that we can respond to uh, rejection. And I'm glad that Greg is going to tackle this topic because I think this is one of the many reasons, if not the greatest reason, why people are hesitant to focus on evangelism is, well, what do I do when people challenge what I think or if they don't respond to me kindly when I try to teach them about the gospel? So, Greg, we are glad that you're with us today. Jake, thanks so much for the invite. I am uh, looking forward to uh, talking with you today on this important topic. Um, so, yeah, glad to be here. So I've known you for a long time, uh, but why don't you tell listeners today who don't know you as well a little bit about yourself and family and ministry, all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, well, obviously, uh, Jake, you and I grew up at the Waterview Congregation uh, together, and I am blessed to uh, have been on the ministry staff there for about the last four and a half years as the Minister for Outreach and Evangelism. Um, in that role, I get to work a lot in our local community and I oversee a lot of different outreach programs and things like that. But I grew up at Waterview, uh, not only with Jacob, but uh, met my future wife there. We met in third grade and uh, went on to Harding for undergrad and Harding School of Theology for some graduate ministry work. Uh, before I came to Waterview, I spent nine years as a youth minister. And I've got a special interest in working with churches on grief ministry as well. Um, I do some adjunct teaching for Dallas Christian College, 
And family-wise, my wife, Andrea, is a first-grade teacher, and we have two kids who are seven and five, and uh, we have twins uh, coming up in March. So our family is growing, and things are about to get even more exciting. So, Well, congratulations on the twins uh, doubling the size of your house, So, or I guess of your children at least. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So let's just jump right into kind of the 30,000 foot question for this topic. Um, We're talking about responding to rejection, but what are some of the biggest rejections that Christians hear in evangelism? Well, there's a lot of places we could go with that. And I, I think if you asked, you know, 20 different people that question, you might get 20 different answers, but two places I kind of wanted to zero in on today uh, number one is what I call the the consumer rejection. And, it, and if you boil it down, it basically looks as a response like, thanks, but I'm okay. Um, the other person does not perceive a need for knowing Jesus. There, there's just not an interest there. Uh, I can remember talking to one of the teens uh, in our youth group years ago, and I appreciated his honesty. And he told me as we were kind of going through a Bible study, he said, you know, Greg, he said, my life is is really good right now. I just don't see the need to be a Christian. Um, God was not filling any perceived need that he had in his life. And so just like if someone comes to your door or in this day and age calls you on your phone and is trying to sell you pest control, if you don't need pest control right then, you're not really interested. And so if Jesus is it meeting some kind of perceived need? Why do I need to add him to my life? And so consumer rejection is I'm rejecting because I don't need it. The other kind of rejection um, is what I would call a cultural rejection. And this is a little more complicated, a little more personal. And it might go something like talking to someone and you tell them you're a Christian and however the conversation gets going and they respond with something like, um, aren't you guys the ones who dot, dot, dot. And perhaps it's something like, aren't you the ones who don't believe in science or are against gay people or believe that women have too many rights, things like that. And so cultural rejection is when Christianity is tied to being in their view on the wrong side of a volatile issue. And so on those grounds, they reject it. And that's a difficult area to get into because it touches a nerve. Um, You're obviously getting very personal with this person. And so there's going to be a lot of roadblocks there before you can get to anything um, biblical. You're you're going to want to address those. And a lot of times it comes about with a shallow understanding, a surface level understanding of the Christian faith. Um, Aren't you the guys who do this? And it's a very broad brush approach. And a lot of times, too, it's combined with past hurts. Maybe they were Christian and got burned in some way and left, or a family member experienced something traumatic, you know, within the church and they left. And so as you begin to talk about your faith with them, it's sort of like playing operation. Um, you don't want to touch the, the side there. And, and so, so cultural rejection is I'm rejecting it because I don't like it. Consumer rejection is I'm rejecting it because I don't need it. Those are two great um, ways to define that. And I I like the consumer cultural aspect. And like you said, one is 
a need, one is a want. And most rejections, I think, can fall under either category. Um, so when it comes to the rejection, do you think the rejections are more often due to the message or the messenger? I think the answer to that is just yes. Okay. Uh, I think you and I would agree uh, the two of those are wrapped up so closely. Um, we really can't separate them. A, a messenger is judged by his message. A message is often judged by the messenger bringing it. Um, I read an interesting article the other day, actually from, from Brett Petrillo out at uh, Bear Valley Church of Christ, and he made a comment about the growing American ignorance about Christianity. Um, and one of his points was we have to stop assuming a lot of things that we used to take for granted. The basics of Christianity are not common knowledge anymore. Everything from who Moses is to, you know, what Jesus did and why it matters. And if those things are known by another person, they are many times known at such a shallow level that it's more unhelpful than helpful. It'd almost be better to start from scratch with a clean slate. And I think it's important for us to realize that that is not entirely the fault of the general public. It is the fault of the fractured Christianity that, that we live in, I think, especially here in the Western world, especially in America, we have mixed messages and mixed messengers. And so a lot of times unchurched friends and just unchurched people in general, they might look at us and our message the same way they look through the people in their front door um, with a lot of skepticism. Who are you and what do you want? Um, and we see that when, when our real Christianity gets easily entangled with all these other man-made ideologies. Um, you know, the good news that you say you have for me, is it about Jesus dying for my sins or is it about who God wants me to vote for? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the message and the messenger can easily get viewed with skepticism. And, and again, those things are so closely wedded together that, that, Many times it's a rejection of both or a rejection of one as a result of the rejection of the other. Okay. So I think that is a hard thing to separate and something that's important for us to think about. Okay. Uh, okay. Did you hear bad sound quality? No. No? Okay, just on my, yeah. my end then. Um, well, I think it's important to acknowledge and I think you are acknowledging this. The problem, though, is not in the message that we're trying to communicate. We have a good product. We don't need to help the product. The product sells, if you want to buy, uh, use that terminology. Um, sometimes we get in the way of letting the product speak for itself. So some of the specific rejections, uh, we've kind of talked about the cultural rejections and uh, more of the consumer rejections, but how do we respond to this one, that Christianity is so judgmental? So when we get into these um, more deep-seated objections to Christianity, a lot of times when when any of us encounter these, we freeze up in conversation. Uh, We don't know how to respond, and even if we do know our way around the talking point, sometimes our mind goes blank in that moment. And so just real quick before we kind of talk about that specific objection, there's some good general approaches for any tough question that we come across, such as the ones that we're looking at today. Um, There's a great book by Greg Kokel, K-O-U-K-L, simply called Tactics. And one of his biggest um, messages in that book is we have to learn to ask questions 
when someone else is objecting to our uh, Christian faith uh, to get the other person answering questions and it sort of gets you out of the hot seat. Um, a lot of us have probably experienced um, that Christians end up in the hot seat too easily. We are forced to defend our beliefs and those who are making the charge don't really have to do any work. Um, and so when, when we learn to ask questions back to the other person, um, not only do we sort of have them defend their side as well, but it gives us a better understanding of where they're coming from so we can better understand their view. Um, we, we're stripping away their easy objection to the real baggage that's underneath. And so one of the things I would recommend uh, in, in getting that book is just to notice the, the asking question approach. Um, it, it, it can buy some time for you and help you better understand the, the argument being made against you. But so to that specific objection that, you know, I'm not a Christian because Christianity is so judgmental. I think one of the claims really underneath that objection is Christianity is saying something that I am doing or believing is wrong. And so that offends me. Mm-hmm. And so some things to consider as we as we talk with somebody about that. Number one, I would say Christianity is an equal opportunity offender. And by that, I mean, it's part of its universal appeal that Christianity is above any and all culture and ideologies. No one culture can lay claim to Christianity. And so no one culture is exempt from being offended by it in some way. And so for an example, Western culture, we love this day and age. We love the Christian teaching of forgiving your enemies, but we have a real problem with the Christian teachings on sex and marriage and purity and things like that. We think they're outdated and backwards. But if you go to the other side of the world, Eastern culture takes issue with teachings on forgiving your enemies, but they find great resonance with teachings on sexual purity and marriage. And so just a reminder, Christianity will offend everyone. It's just a question of how. Um, Another thing to think about is everyone has to have some kind of worldview. And by worldview, I simply mean a, a way of understanding reality, uh, answering questions like what's my purpose, why am I here, things like that. We, we have to have a worldview so we can function in, in, in this life. But all worldviews are going to be limiting in some way. They're going to constrain this while allow for this and things like that. They're always going to constrain us. And so ultimately, the real question that we ought to be asking is not which worldview constrains me the least or which worldview is the least judgmental. The, the real question, the real starting point is which worldview makes the most sense of reality, the best explanation of why things are the way they are. And then going from there, then what does that worldview tell me about who I am and what I ought to do and what I ought to not do and things like that. That's a great answer. Um, and I love, love your example of the difference of opinion between Eastern and Western cultures that Christianity is always going to offend somebody and how true that is. And so um, when we bring all of that into the scope, um, everyone is on an equal playing field emotionally and spiritually when they first hear about Christ. Uh, A big one is why would a loving God allow pain and suffering? And even people who have been Christians for their entire lives struggle with that. So how do we respond to that rejection? 
That is absolutely probably the biggest objection there is to faith in general, uh, regardless of, of, you know, what that faith is. Um, I remember Dennis Prager saying one time that Christians have to provide an answer for suffering. Atheists have to provide an answer for everything else. Hmm. And um, I think that, you know, when we, when we look at this objection that we're, and we want to be, we want to provide some clarity. Number one, when we talk about, God in this objection, we're obviously talking about the God of scripture. And, and specifically when we're talking about suffering, I think most people are talking about what we would label as unjust suffering. The person who is suffering and there seems to be no cause, no reason for it whatsoever. Um, now, one of the, the way the objection is usually worded is that scripture tells us that God is two things. He is all good and he is all powerful. And so the objection is that either God allows unjust suffering because he is unable to stop it, in which case he is all good, but he's not all powerful, or he allows unjust suffering because he is unwilling to stop it, in which case he is all powerful, but he is not all good. And so when we wade into these waters, personal suffering, and whether that's in their own life or or seeing it in the life of, of someone close to them, it's a watershed moment for any person, Christian or not. And, and it will either draw them closer to faith in God or it will push them further away. And so anytime we're talking about suffering in God, before we say anything else, we want to tread carefully. We want to have a lot of humility. We want to be very sensitive. Um, you know, we, we want to maintain our convictions, but we want to do so in a, in a loving way that is mindful that the person sitting across from us has most likely experienced something that even if it's similar to something we've experienced, it's, it's still personal for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if you and I are debating this question with someone who is not in the midst of personal crisis, you know, almost on an academic level, we might start with the idea that abandoning the existence of God actually makes explaining unjust suffering even harder. Because when we abandon the existence of God, we lose any objective standard. In other words, how can anything be unjust beyond my personal feelings about it unless there is some universal objective standard of justice? And if there is, where did it come from? And we would say that it it came from God. But if I'm talking and if you're talking to someone who is in the midst of suffering or someone who is watching, say, their child go through suffering, a health crisis or something like that, that's probably not the best place to start, get philosophical. Um, The usual question on the table here is, why is God allowing this unjust suffering to happen? Um, And I think about Randy Harris saying that in in conversations like this, there's a lot of maybes, a lot of I don't knows. Um, He is fond of saying that the, the two types of people that make him the most nervous are those who say they know, who say that God is doing nothing in the world and those who say they know exactly what it is that God is doing. Um, So in moments like that, where there is a lot of uncertainty, I think it's important for us as Christians who are trying to be evangelistic to affirm what do we know from scripture? For all the things that scripture might leave open, what do we know? And so, so a few things there to answer this question. Number one, whatever the reason for my suffering, or the suffering in in my loved one, it is not because God does not love me or God does not love them. And the cross bears that out most fully. Um, The cross shows me that no matter what happens in my life, 
if God is willing to go to the cross, go to those depths for me, then whatever suffering I might experience in life, it is not a result of God not having love for me. Number two, that God cannot only see my suffering, but that he can know my suffering. And that's what the incarnation is about in part. Um, and I think especially of John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept in the story of Lazarus, um, that um, God, a, a lot of times we have this idea that in the midst of our suffering, God is sort of like that parent who is sitting across from us with their arms outstretched while their child is taking those tottering steps to them. And so that God is waiting for us to make it through this time and then he will be there to hold us and comfort us. And I think if, if scripture teaches us anything, it's that God in the midst of our suffering, he is not far off, nor is God just waiting for us, but that God is working in the midst of my suffering and that he's working. Number three, he's working for my highest good. Uh, I think of first Peter chapter one and Romans eight, that God can use my suffering to be more, to turn me into someone who is more like his son, which as a Christian, I have to believe is the highest possible good for me. And so I think those are some good things for us to think about as we gently bring those into conversation with the person across from. Those are excellent insights. Um, and I love that you point out that regardless of what happens, it's not because God doesn't love you or that it's part of, God working in your life. <laughs> I, I love the statement too. The two groups of people that make you the most nervous are those who say that they know exactly what God's doing, and yep. those who say He's not doing anything at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, very well said. So, and I think you're kind of alluding to this in this next question, but our our response to rejection is also a lot more than the theological rebuttals that we can offer. Um, and I appreciate you saying when we wade into the waters specifically of suffering, we have to be gentle. And though we may have experienced something similar, it's still different because it's just them. And uh, when we're sitting and having the conversation academically, when we're not walking through the fire, it's a completely different conversation than when the flames are all around us. Um, Greg, you, your title is with, um, or with Waterview is a minister of evangelism and outreach when did you become interested in evangelism and kind of what lit that fire within you? Well, I know we, we would all agree that um, as Christians, we're, we're all called to be interested in sharing Jesus, interested in evangelism. But I think for me, um, the first time I encountered someone in conversation who was, who was not a Christian and yet they were, they were eager to know more about Christianity. Um, as, as a minister, I'm, I'm blessed to, to get to have those conversations quite a bit. Um, I'm actually engaged right now in some studies on the, on the UTD campus with some students there. And I think one of the most important things that, um, I, I try to, to motivate, you know, people at our church and just, just other Christians in general is when you can, when you can have that conversation with someone, where they are, they are genuinely interested in Christianity and asking you questions and they want to know what you think. It, it's almost like going on a run. You, know, you, you, you almost get that rush where 
you want to come back to it again. And in some ways, when, when I, you know, encountered that, in some ways I realized I knew more than I thought, but I also realized I needed to think more deeply about why I believed what I do. And so that, that thrill of being able to have that conversation is important. And I think the other thing that, that has been great and it sort of pushed me in that direction is when I realized that evangelism was much more than just having a Bible study about, you know, the five steps of salvation. Um, in some ways, I think we get jaded into thinking that that's, that's what evangelism is. I think that's why it's such a scary word for us. But, and when we kind of alluded to this earlier, Jake, I think you did, that Christianity and scripture will always be able to defend itself against any objection or any other worldview. Um, and learning how to talk about Christianity as the best way to understand and make sense of the world that we live in. And when you can, when you can learn to talk about it in those ways um, at, at the start of your conversation, I, I think Christianity becomes so much more real and practical and it, it becomes more of a tool to help share with other people because you're learning, you're learning how to, how to meet them where they are. And I think that's an important thing that if we can learn how to, how to give Christian answers to those questions, it can really help us, you know, with our zeal for, for sharing the gospel. Absolutely. Um, so what have been some of your greatest successes and failures in evangelism? Well, so I wasn't exactly sure kind of the context of your questions here. So I'll just, I'll just tell you what I wrote down. Okay. Um, two things in ministry, um, just very general answers, but, um, and I think this is important, not only for ministers, but, but just for us as Christians who want to be evangelistic and that's being, being approachable. Um, I've been in ministry now for 13 going on 14 years and I have come to see that being approachable as a minister and as a person is, is probably one of the very most important aspects of just being, being successful as a, as a minister and, and being successful as someone who is um, called to, to be evangelistic. Um, and I, I, I would, I would like to think that, that I have seen some success there. Number two, um, I think, learning to teach in a way that helps others think more deeply about their faith. Um, like I said, I was a youth minister for nine years and felt like I had a knack for, for teaching teens. When I came to Waterview, um, I immediately began teaching adult classes. And if you were to go back and ask some of our members about those first few months of my teaching our young adult class, um, they might be reluctant to tell you what they really thought about it. Hmm. Um, and so, um, I, I feel like I have gained a lot in learning to teach at that level in, in a way that helps others just think more deeply about what they believe, um, at, at the adult level, um, failures. And, and this speaks more to your question about evangelism. It's, it's probably ironic, but I, I, I hope vulnerability is helpful. But even as an evangelism minister, uh, I think I think one of my greatest failures continues to be not pursuing opportunities to share Jesus with someone in, in a moment of need. 
Um, I can think of several people right now that I'm friends with that I've even grown up with that just knowing what they're going through right now through, through social media and stuff, it, it, it is as if God is blaring this siren in my life saying, this person needs you to reach out to them and talk about Jesus. And, and I, I'll be honest, I, I keep, I keep being reluctant to do it. And, um, I know that that puts me pretty much in the same boat as everybody else, but you know, I think it's important for us to realize those and, and try to take advantage of those. When we can. Yeah. That boat is completely full and does not take any more passengers. I think we've all been, <laughs> we've all been there. Um, I appreciate your vulnerability, but you know, I think also if it wasn't human tendency to do that, then Jesus and the New Testament writers would not have emphasized evangelism as much as they did. You know, <laughs> Jesus didn't have to yeah. tell us to breathe because we naturally breathe. Um, Jesus didn't have to tell us to realize there's a God because according to Romans 1, we can look out the window and and see that. But evangelism is something we have to be intentional about. So I appreciate you uh, sharing that. So... I've been asking everyone during this month series this question to finish out. I think it's an interesting question, and I enjoy hearing the different responses to it. But in a few words, answer this question. Evangelism is, and then evangelism is not. I really appreciated this question. And if if I'm going to be totally transparent, my answer to the first one uh, is actually borrowed a little bit from from Dallas Willard. and actually, in defining what apologetics is in one of his books, Dallas Willard says that apologetics is removing doubts that hinder people from their full participation in the kingdom. And I love that that definition. And so I modified a bit to say evangelism is removing obstacles to trusting Jesus. And I like that because it's broad enough to encompass pretty much anything you or I would do to help somebody trust Jesus more. Right. Um, evangelism is not, when I think about that question, I think about a lot of things that evangelism is mistaken for. And so just, just two of them to throw out here. Number one, evangelism is not giving instructions. It's too easy. Um, after all, Paul says, if the law could save Christ died for nothing, so the good news is an announcement of something that was done for us, um, not not just a set of things to do, and, and and you know then we're done. So number one, evangelism is not giving instructions. Number two, evangelism is not helping good people become even better people. Um, and again, I, I go to Paul. Paul says Christ died for the ungodly, mm-hmm. not pretty decent people. Mm-hmm. And um, th- and that's one of the hard parts of evangelism is if I'm going to convince someone of their need for Christ, I have to convince them of their rebellious. Uh, in, in Calvin's words, I have to convince them that of their depraved nature, and um, that can be tough. And so, um, an- another way I might modify that first answer is evangelism is um, it is an earned authority to speak hard truths into the life of someone else. That sounds pretty professional there. Uh, (laughs) Greg, I really liked what you said there about evangelism is not just instructions. And I think um, 
at least when that is the method that we use, that is why we see so many people get baptized and then leave as soon as they've been baptized. And it certainly does not point people to the necessity of a church family, because if it's just a set of instructions or if it's just a manual, you get it done and then you go on with your life, kind of like getting a voter registration card or, you know, filing your taxes. Uh, Right. When you truly understand what evangelism is, part of that story is God has created a people, a holy nation belonging to him that you have to make part of your life to survive. And um, the people who stay in the church after they've been converted versus the people who leave, I think, is a big testament to what method was used to get them into the church to begin with. And when it's just instructions, they don't stay. And we see that time and time and time again. Not to say that we don't need a good uh, way to look at important verses that explain you know, why they have to do what they have to do to be saved. But if that's all it is, then then man, we're missing the mark big time, big time. I really appreciate you coming on today, Greg. And for those listening, as you've listened to Greg, he's obviously a very good uh, student of the word, very well read, a great theologian. You can email Greg at gparks at waterview.org to continue these conversations. Um, He has a lot of really good things to say. And whenever churches begin to reopen as far as having outside seminars and things, I know that Greg has a great presentation on grief recovery. I've heard it myself. So uh, I think your church could benefit from hearing that. Uh, Greg, we wish you the best in your ministry and your uh, children on the way, the twins. Do we have names yet? Maybe you can't disclose names yet. I might be getting you in trouble by asking that question. No, no, they're, they're out there now. So no, we, uh, we have a boy and a girl and uh, Evan, John and Ava Grace will be here uh uh, probably around around mid-March. Evan so. John and Ava Grace. Okay, well, I was just going to say Jacob and Esau to keep it quiet so people don't know what the names were. But I'm glad to know that we actually uh, heard the actual names. Well, congratulations to you and Andrea. Thank you for your time today. Thank you to those who have been listening. I want to close today the way we close every time by reminding you that along this journey of life, there will be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you Get ready by navigating your journey. And as always, keep your eyes on heaven, and we will talk to you next time. Okay.